Hello there and welcome back to the show. I'd like to talk to you about this week's sponsor. Well, the episode for this week is sponsored by Kingdoms in the Wild Publishing House. Every year, Kingdoms in the Wild sponsors an annual poetry prize. And this year, they are pleased to introduce works by Odo Tae, a breathtaking young Nigerian poet whose work explores borders, boundaries, and memory. In the winning chapbook, All of Us Are Birds and Some of Us Have Broken Wings, Odo Tai utilizes the elegy in the inquisition of identity, heritage, mental health, language, and memory. His debut chapbook is available in both ebooks and paperback versions on Amazon.com or on their website, kingdomsinthewild.com. Odo Tai is currently living in Nigeria and you can follow him and his work on Twitter at Ojo underscore poems and that is at OJO underscore poems. Hello everyone, I am Marcibel and this is the Marcibel Podcast. Welcome back to the show. This is the Marcible Podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for Blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, Marcible, Nigerian-born, U.S.-educated, Korean-speaking, wandering intellectual. I have a very rare opportunity to have not just an amazing woman on the show, but also um, an amazing podcaster. And I met her um, from the Lady Pod Squad <laughs> group, and she's just full of energy. And I can't wait to explore her story and share you know, just an amazing story that is, you know, Kelly today. Um, her name is Kelly Nerdzilla Mendenhall, and she describes herself as a recovering nonprofit professional living in Middle Tennessee. She has been living in Nashville since 2013, pursuing life, liberty, and gainful employment. In 2017, she suddenly became medically disabled and unable to work outside the home. She is a spooning author, podcast co-host, uh, entrepreneur, and self-advocate. And she's been living with chronic pain and invisible illnesses. Her mission is to show the world that a medical diagnosis or diagnosis do not have to mark the end of your story. She's one half of the Non-Mon Happy podcast, which she describes as, which they describe as a podcast that brings healing through laughter and community. It's a safe space to talk about trauma, recovery, disorder eating, disordered eating, sexual trauma, survival, and mental health and self-care. And they talk about it laughing because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So whether you're a non-mom who often feels like you don't fit into most lady groups or a mom who needs to take a break from moming for an hour, you should hang out with them at the Non-Mom Happy Hour podcast. So everyone, without further ado, join me in welcoming Kelly to the show. Thank you so much. Whenever anyone introduces me and they list off the different things about myself, yeah. I'm like, wow, I sound like I've done a lot more than I give myself credit for. <laughs> And then you have actually, and I was still thinking about that today. My friend tagged me on a post, and I was reading. I was like, "Oh, what a cool story!" And I thought, "Oh, that's about me." <laughs> and I was like, hey, "I want to hire that person because we. I don't think we talk about our and 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 celebrate our own achievements. Women, as as shy women, we don't really acknowledge all the things we've done." I think that's true, and I I think we're so used to. Doing. I mean, I hate to sound, I hate to sound cynical, but I think we're so used to not being recognized that we forget to mm. recognize mm. ourselves sometimes. Yeah. And it's not until you hear someone else listing your accomplishments or the different things that you do that you realize like, oh, I am contributing to the world. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. As I was reading through your bio, let me just make a confession. 
Yeah. When I, when I, when I read the part that said spoony, I'm like, oh, she sounds like someone that likes to spoon. And I go like, I don't think that's what that means. So I went on Google and I'm like, oh, totally different one. And <laughs> it's like, so, yeah. so I had to make that confession. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about, I know there's a community of that. And it, I, from what my understanding is for those people that have like waning levels of energy throughout the day, sometimes they feel yeah. you know, high energy, they have to retreat. And, and I think that's kind of linked to what you talked about when you became suddenly uh, medical disabled and unable to work. Can you just um, tell us a little bit more about our community and especially your own personal side of the story? Yeah. So Spoonies are um, a community of people who go by this, this, they've appointed themselves or, or kind of self-identify as a Spoonie. And it's people living with chronic pain and or invisible illness. And it all started with something called the spoon theory. Yeah, yeah. And so basically this, this gal who has lupus was at lunch with a friend and their friend asked, like, what is it like to be you? And no one had ever asked her that before. Mm. And so she was trying to think of a way to kind of give it an analogy that her friend could understand of what it felt like to kind of be at war with your own body, mm-hmm. right? So she looked around and saw all these empty tables and she grabbed the spoons off of every table. And I think she ended up with 13 spoons in her hand. And wow. she basically said, okay, here's 13 spoons. Let's say that everyone like able-bodied or disabled starts with 13 spoons at the beginning of the day and every activity that you perform costs a number of spoons and Mm -hmm. so she took the friend through the exercise and she and she said okay how much energy does it take you to get dressed and take a shower to get ready for work in the morning and the friend said probably one spoon and she said okay so she kept listing off all the different daily activities like work, commuting, you know, all these different things. And at the end of it, I think her friend had like two spoons left or was maybe right at, she had maybe used exactly 13 spoons or something. And so then the woman with lupus went through the exercise and was like, this is what it feels like to be me. And when she got through all of the daily activities and, and things that she has to do, she was negative spoon. And this analogy really resonated with a lot of people because when you are a person living with chronic pain or illness, mm-hmm. it, it can be hard to do the things that able-bodied or neurotypical people do. And it can take a lot more energy. Like for me right now, if I go up, if I want to take a shower, our shower, our bathroom with a working shower is on mm. the second floor of our house. Oh, wow. That's so I have to, it is. It is. And I spend most of my time in my bed or on the couch because right now I'm awaiting another final so, surgery that yeah. will hopefully help. But mm. if I want to take a shower, I have to go upstairs. Mm. And then get myself into the shower. I have a shower chair that I sit on, mm-hmm. wash myself and everything, and then get out, dry off, and get dressed. 
Now, it's hard for people to imagine that that takes a lot of spoons for me. And in fact, currently, I need help from my live-in partner, Nathan, um, who will go upstairs with me, hmm. help me safely get into the shower, wait for me to get done with my shower, help me dry off and get dressed, and then help me back downstairs. Hmm. And it can take like a half an hour or 45 minutes for me to kind of catch my breath and recover from that amount of activity. Hmm. So when you live with chronic pain and illness, you don't want to say I can't all the time, right? Like I work on mindset a lot um, with my therapist and using words like I can't, it, it feeds your subconscious the wrong messages and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. So rather than saying, I can't go upstairs and take a shower right now, I will say, I don't have enough spoons to go upstairs and take a shower (laughs) right now, but maybe I can go later. Does that make sense? Mm. So, it's a way of communicating to my friends and family, like your capabilities, like you. Know, yeah, yeah, wow. my level of energy for that day. Yeah. And this, my journey started in June of 2017 when I went from being a person who worked full time, yeah, and um, had aches and pains and a quote unquote bad back because I'd had a couple of accidents and things. So I had aches and pains. I went from being a person with aches and pains to being a person who couldn't walk. And I have what is called, I have, well, I have ruptured discs. First of all, Mm -hmm. I had one in my neck that ruptured and was um, causing my spine to be unstable. So Mm -hmm. when I would move my neck, the vertebrae in my spine would shift out of place. And that was causing all types of symptoms. It was causing my left foot to drop when I would be walking. It was causing dizziness, ringing in my ears, chronic headaches, all kinds of different things. And so I got that repaired in uh, July, July 17th, I believe. I had a surgery to, um, it's called a laminectomy, where they take some of the bone off of your disc so that it allows more room. And then they did a spinal fusion where they fused Mm. parts of my spine together to stabilize it. That sounds very hard. That sounds very (laughs) hurtful. It was was a lot to take on because, again, for two years I had been fighting against doctors who didn't believe me and who accused me of lying and not wanting to work. And so I finally have this surgeon that I trust and I've been through a surgery and it was successful. And he's like, I can't do it here. I have to send you to Vanderbilt. So, I mean, your life can change so quickly. And I, I decided early on in, in my journey, the more that I ran into doctors that were, working against me instead of with me, the more determined I became to help other people 
get through these types of situations. Mm -hmm. And I started to do a lot of research and I started reading all of these papers, these like legal and clinical research and case studies that showed over and over again that there's a bias against women in the medical field where women report pain and don't get treated for it or they report chronic symptoms that are related to illnesses and they don't get treatment for it because we're treated as though we're hysterical. And I think there's an angle to that as a black person. There's this medical bias that if you're black, you have a you know higher threshold of pain. And I've had yeah. friends tell me literally that when they will be suffering from fibroids, one of them told me that one of her doctors told her, well, you don't seem to be in that much pain. You don't look like you're in that much pain. She was, she ended up because she was even pregnant. She ended up looking, losing that um, pregnancy, and she even had like re- regeneration of the fibroids. And they just wouldn't take her pain seriously. Apparently, the pain was a signal that something was going on with her pregnancy, and they didn't take it serious. And that's yeah, what's so frustrating. That. It's yeah. even worse for Black women and women of color mm-hmm. than it is for white women. All women face it, but it's it's definitely worse for women of color. And women are dying every day or becoming permanently disabled. Or in the case of your friend, which is absolutely heartbreaking and so infuriating, losing a pregnancy because they're being ignored. And the more that I read about it, the more I was like, fuck this, like, we have to do something about it. Sorry. Yeah. Okay and I think more player? women going into this field to study more about women's health because mm-hmm. I still think there's a lot of advancement needed to be made in women's health. Because a lot of what you hear sometimes sounds like quackery. Like, we've made a lot of advancement with, you know, cancer treatments, with, you know, some parts of men's health. But I think with women's health, maybe because of the heterogeneity and the complex, well, I'm just saying complex, you know, reproductive system we have, and given that it differs by body, there's so much that we don't really know, you know, around, you know, um, our period health, you know, or uh, yeah. causes of pain, you know, um, reproductive issues like endometriosis, you know, ovarian cysts, um, fibroids, and so many things. And so depending on the kind of doctors you go, if they're not even culturally sensitive, you might hear something different. And I'd say well, that coming from a personal experience because I have been through a lot with the system. Well, and it, it kind of goes back to the beginning of time. Like when I started doing all my research, I learned that the word uterus comes from the root word, the, and, and it's Greek, which is utera, which means hysteria. Oh my gosh, I just guessed. That's why they call it a hysterectomy. <gasps> yes. Shut the front door. Yes. No, I'm serious on that like you know like you know almost like reclaiming that word back we are not hysterical exactly so I was like when I when I started reading about this and then I started reading all the crazy like there's an episode of our podcast where I talk about the history of women's it's it's during mental health awareness month and I kind of went through the history of like women's mental health treatment and how it's connected to this idea that we're hysterical because we have a uterus. Oh, and, and 
the more that I read and researched, the, the angrier I got. But then also at the same time, I was like, it's not just me, right? Mm. So I just became determined to become a fierce advocate for raising awareness of this issue and changing things. So now I'm working on my second book, which the working title right now is called Medical Gaslighting, Tales of Women Overcoming the Bias. I do want interviews from women. So what, what my plan is, is I'll tell my story. I will also do interviews. And so I will send you the link to the interview, um, the, the interview form. And if you want to share that in the show notes for this show, okay. you can do that. And if anybody else wants to, to participate, they can, but the book will be, it will be like the chapters will go back and forth between the clinical studies and evidence and the statistics and the hard evidence of the bias. And then and there will be chapters with stories from women like you and myself who have lived through these types of situations. And the point is to try and raise more awareness to this issue so that we can impact change. Mm. Um, That's a good one. I don't know if you're familiar at all with the American comedian, Jim Gaffigan. I know Jim Gaffigan. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> with his, his whole pocket. <laughs> yeah, you know, his, his wife had brain cancer or something? Yeah, but she almost died because <gasps> the doctors didn't believe her. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's a story behind that. I knew he made there's it. an article they did. Oh, it's wow. like a feature um, with WebMD where they tell the story. But basically, for, I think it was, I, don't quote me on this, but I think it was over a period of two years. It might, it might've been different, but I think I remember it was over a period of two years that she kept going to the doctors oh my God. and saying, I have these symptoms. I have these symptoms. I have these symptoms. And they kept blowing her up. And then it turned out she had a brain tumor and she nearly died. Oh my gosh. Imagine those kids. Cause they have like six kids or so. Yeah. Five, I think. <sighs> yeah. And this is Jim Kafka. I'm, I mean, I don't think money is the problem or access, you know. So they probably have access to, you know, good doctors and whatnot. So there's really something wrong. So imagine those that don't even have the um, the web without, like, or the disposable income to actually get to the clinic. And then, because the more you go to different doctors, the more that's drawing a lot of costs because different doctors will run different kinds of tests. Assuming they oh even listen gosh. to the odyssey you have to go through to even get a diagnosis in the first place. It shouldn't be that, you know, um, long it's and insane. convoluted. Yeah. And I always say you shouldn't have to get an honorary medical degree to get the medical care that you need. I know, right? You it, become the expert. <laughs> it, shouldn't, it shouldn't have taken me two years to convince, to finally get to a doctor who was like, wait a minute. Why haven't they ever given you an MRI on the other areas of your spine? And I said, well, I asked three different doctors to do MRIs on the other areas of my spine. And they all said no. And he was like, that's insane. And I said, I know. And he said, he said, we have done every conceivable test on your low back, but 
no one looked at the other parts of your back. And I said, no. And he said, we have to get you MRIs immediately because he did a neurological exam and he saw all the neurological symptoms that I was re reporting to other doctors, but they were telling me I was crazy. I'm even thinking that given that what you were complaining about was pain and you know how with the whole opioid epidemic, there could also be that stigma of, well, she's just here fishing for medications anyway. And I know that well, I'm a researcher, I'm also a pharmacist. And I do know that sometimes with our very stringent laws on, um, you know, opioid control, we actually are not doing a lot to help those that, you know, have chronic illnesses. We don't even have a very safe, non-addictive way of managing long-term chronic pain that we just lump, you know, those that actually need to be on pain medications into the category of those that are, you know, drug-seeking um, addicts. Well, but here's the thing. So most, most people say, well, they, they must have thought you were a drug seeker. And, and I think they did when they first met me because I'm six feet tall and covered in tattoos and people drew their own assumptions. However, I refused opioid and narcotic pain medications mm -hmm. up until three weeks ago because I have addiction history in my family and I live with major depressive disorder and complex mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder. So I knew that it was dangerous for me to take opioids or narcotics. And so what I ran into was doctors would say, you need pain management. And I would say, what does that look like? And they would say, you need to be on, you know, like oxy, whatever. And I would say, no. And then they would, I had one doctor who said, what do you mean? No. <laughs> and I said, that's not a long-term treatment plan. Good on you though. I said, pain is the symptom, not the disease. And so opioids are not a good long-term plan. We need to figure out what's wrong and fix it. And he got pissed off at me and referred me to another doctor and I never saw him again. But guess what's going to happen if you have started using that thing? Um, chances are you might get addicted to it. And then they know how to get you on the medications, but they don't know how to get people off. Right. And so what I ran into was at first people would think I was drug seeking, but then I would say, no, I'm not taking any of that. So then they would say, oh, well, then your pain must not be that bad. So I literally couldn't win no matter what, what did. I did. Mm -hmm. And so I had, when I had, uh, in December of last year, I had a dorsal column spine cord stimulator implant. Hmm. And it's an, it's an implanted device that sends electrical pulses to my spinal cord to try hmm. and interrupt the pain signals from my left leg traveling up to my brain to try and limit the amount of pain that I feel in my leg. Yeah. And then, so after the surgery I took, opioids for two weeks and then that was it and other than that I've been controlling it just with like rehab exercises and and I just lived with the pain I just did the best I could but when this rupture happened in my thoracic spine the pain was suddenly so bad it was 10 out of 10 24 hours a day oh wow 
none of my natural therapies, none of the muscle relaxers, none of, none of the things that I used to help with flares before were working at all. And I was, I was suddenly having suicidal ideations again because the pain Uh-oh. was so bad. Oh, wow. So I called my pain specialist Dr. who, e. and, and he said, and I said, I know I've never accepted these meds before, but I think I need them because I can't take this anymore. And he said, go to the emergency room. They'll do updated MRIs and they'll give you emergency pain management. And then I can see you on Monday morning because it was a Friday. So that's what I did. And I have had to use a very, I'm on like the lowest dose you can be on mm-hmm. um, of uh, narco, is it narco? Yeah, narco, the, yeah. Yeah. And it's the 5 325. 325, so like, yeah. Mm. So it's very low dose. Yeah. But that's what I'm having to use to manage my pain while I wait. Okay. surgery and don't use any um tylenol or anything like that with that you know that right i know yes i do yeah. know that and i don't I, it. Mm. I take a um i take an anti-inflammatory called diclofenac diclofenac mm-hmm. sodium yeah. or potassium which one would you know yeah it doesn't matter. i take uh i take the sodium and uh i have ptsd i have, I have cptsd so i might care so I have to take other meds to help with the night terrors. But I mean, my care team is huge now. I have, I have a psychiatrist who specializes in trauma and chronic pain. I have a trauma therapist. I have a pain management specialist, a neurologist, a neurosurgeon, my primary care doctor. And then now I'm going to be going and having this whole new team of doctors at Vanderbilt for my next surgery. And people don't realize it takes a village of good caretakers. And I just, I want people, if, if I can teach people anything, it's never allow a doctor or a medical professional to make you feel like you're crazy or make you feel like you don't know your body. Yeah. Because and and if you have to fight, fight. Ask for referrals to new doctors. Fire doctor. I fired my primary care doctor, and I wrote him a four-page letter. I just fired my reproductive endocrinologist because um, I just felt like it became a point where they were being too segmental with my issues. They weren't looking at the holistic thing. They put me on a drug that almost sent me to the brink of hell. I put on a lot of weight. It became my fault that the drug didn't work. It became my fault I wasn't doing the right thing. And fine, yeah, I'll take responsibility for my... How about the things you guys put me on? The whole experiment you tried to do on me that didn't work. How about all the, the backlash of that? You know, my period just going haywire. The heavy flow, the, the, just the mood imbalance and all that on the progesterone you put me on. You don't take responsibility for that. It becomes your fault if the drugs don't work or if the drugs, you know, behave adversely, you know, on your body. You know, not yes. even like therapy. We're sorry it didn't work. Uh, let's try this. How are you feeling? You had to just go figure things out. I had to go on forums. I had to join groups to just realize that it wasn't just all in my head. And you know what else I've learned? And, and I think this is key because I didn't realize it until all of this happened is always, always, always 
talk to your pharmacist about new medications before you start taking them. Thank you. I'm a pharmacist. I like to hear that. This is very encouraging. Very, very encouraging to hear. Because doctors don't know what the hell they're doing. (laughs) Not all of them do, but yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. I ended up in the hospital in February of last year with serotonin syndrome because my primary care doctor prescribed me Cymbalta at the same time as I was taking Prozac. Oh my gosh. They didn't communicate with, did they know that you were on Cymbalta already? Oh, sorry, on Prozac already? No, he wrote both prescriptions and insisted that it was safe for me to take them. No, no, honey, no. And, and so I was taking those on top of taking the gabapentin for the nerve pain. And I called my pharmacist one day and I said, I said, something is wrong. It sounds like I'm underwater and my vision is blurry and I'm having heart palpitations and you're having high body temperature and um Yep. And agitation and tremors. Wow. She said, Honey, you're having serotonin syndrome, you need to go to the ER right away. The pharmacist told you that. Yeah, we are the The pharmacist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she looked at what I was taking Taking, and she was like, This is serotonin syndrome. Well then when I went to the hospital to the emergency room you know, the only way to stop serotonin syndrome is to stop taking the medication. The medication, the SSRI you own, the Cymbalta. And I had to stay overnight in the hospital. And the doctor who was in the observational unit yeah. the next morning when he came to talk to me, he said, well, you must have, you must have misunderstood your doctor. <sighs> and I said, fault. no. Yeah. I said, we had many conversations about this, and he told me over and over again that it was safe. And he goes, I, that can't be right. You must. And then he accused me of doing drugs. He said, have you been taking synthetic marijuana or oh, other geez. street drugs? Oh, jeez. Did you even, and, I mean, if you didn't have any history of abuse, you know, in that regard, from right. what he's just you've provided to him, that wasn't the right thing for that conversation, in my opinion. Because it fits the profile for serotonin syndrome. Exactly. Exactly. And the pharmacist knew it. The nurse, the triage nurse that I called at my doctor's office when I explained to her what was going on, she knew it. But then when I got to the hospital, they were like, no, 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 it can't be that. And you must have, you must have. And then I said, I said, well, my pharmacist said it is. And then that be- then the conversation became, well, you must have taken street drugs or synthetic marijuana, or you must have have misfollowed directions, or you know. And so they make it your fault, your just fault. like you said. Mm-hmm. And it's like just, I mean, I was so close to fighting that doctor, I can't even. <laughs> Especially at that point, I was at like twelve hours into withdrawals from <laughs> the Cymbalta and the. Gabapentin and Prozac. So I was like, I'm really gonna fight you right now. Like this is gonna happen. I'm but, glad you had that pharmacist to check in on you because it could have gotten worse. I it can kill you. And like and so now whenever I get a new prescription, I talk to my pharmacist and I say I just want to make sure this is safe to take and I wanna know what to expect. Like what are the most common side effects that I might experience and and I've I have a whole new appreciation now for pharmacists. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing us. Even though we're still fighting for prescriber status, but that's a different conversation. But thanks for recognizing the um, utility and importance of 
pharmacist in medic in medication management and optimizing oh, patient outcomes. So it's so vital. It's Thank so you. vital to have a pharmacist and to talk to your pharmacist. And I try and tell people that all the time. I just had a friend in one of my support groups who posted last night and she said, Hey, you guys, I'm wondering if anybody has any experience with these medications because my doctor cut my Cymbalta prescription in half and added Prozac. And, and she said, and I'm having these really weird symptoms and I feel really dizzy. And so immediately I said, those two medications should not be mixed. You're already getting your own diploma in pharmacy as well. Well, and that's what I said. I said, this is what I experienced. Those medications can't be mixed. Please call your pharmacist and please don't keep mixing these medications because oh, yeah. it's, it's, you know, but so I, I tell everybody, like, we, we need pharmacists and I have yeah. so much appreciation um, and, and respect and admiration because especially general practitioners don't, they don't always know which medications are safe to mix. Yeah. They just when you have like a, like a multi, like a, what you call um, someone on polypharmacy, like taking more than one medications. Yeah. Like, and know, with multiple diagnoses. Yeah. yeah it's, the interaction it gets more complicated. It takes someone that has done a lot of pharmacology and knows a lot about drug interactions and what the drug, what that can, what that combination can do to the body. And that's when the yes. pharmacy steps into. And think about it. You can have multiple practitioners. You can have, like you, you have a pain doctor, you have one for your um, depression, you have one for you know, all kinds of things. You can have different kinds of doctors, but you only get to have one pharmacist. And giving exactly. the pharmacist that we have, the pharmacist can step into that position of being that one person that binds them all in the sense that they can see the kaleidoscope of all the medication you're taking. They get to know you, you strike up that conversation, they can monitor, you can talk to you, and they can even listen. And you don't have to you don't even get paid to listen to, you know, patients because it's part of what we, most of us enjoy doing it. You know, like, you know, if you had to go see a doctor, you had like, what, 15 minutes or 30 minutes consultation, depending on what kind of level. Yeah, if that. <laughs> a pharmacist, if you're just walk in anytime and talk to a pharmacist, that is what we're here for. I mean, it's just, they, you guys are just such an amazing resource that are so underutilized and you're like the gatekeepers we are. to keep, keep us safe. Galaxy. We are yeah. of the galaxy that is the medical world system. Thank you very much for that um, going comment. Um, I'm just curious to know before I before we wrap up. So you've, you've you've accomplished a lot, Kelly, and that's just saying it. And I don't know if like, like me when I get compliments from other women, it tends to I tend to appreciate it more because we don't as women we don't tend we don't tend to like you know give compliments to one another. We're so Kelly yeah. sometimes that we you know. But it, the, the, the good side of that is that when I hear a woman compliment me, I know it's coming from a good place, you know, that they really thought about it deeply. So I want to compliment yes. all of your efforts, like what you do with the Non-Mom Podcast, fulfilling that um, community of people that, you know, they haven't used their baby box, or even for moms that want to take a break from momming for a while. So keep up the good works. But I'm just curious to know, like, given that your your energy levels, you know, started weighing when you when you had... Um, when you, when your medical issues began in 2017, um, and now that you're not as, um, I mean, what you can do right now as far as physical movement is quite limited. I don't think yes. that affected your your mental acuity or your brain and just 
how still amazing you are. I'm just curious to know, uh, like, how, as far as body image and all that, how's it been like, and how have you been coping with just that acceptance that, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be as um, optimal as far as moving about as I used to be before. How have you been able to accept that, you know, reality now? That is really hard. First of all, I just want to thank you for the affirmations and, and acknowledgements because it does mean a lot, but it, it is hard and you have to, you have to allow yourself grief. Mm. And I had to grieve the loss of who I was and, and, um, the picture that I had in my head of my life and how it was going to be. I had to allow myself to grieve that. And I've, I saw someone say you have to have little funerals for the different pieces of yourself that you've lost or, or the, the different aspects of your life that you've lost. And, and that's true. And you do have to allow yourself the space to grieve and, and to process that and be kind to yourself. Because there are things like I used to cook and bake constantly. And my friends called me the punk rock Betty Crocker because mm. I was always cooking and cleaning and baking mm. and my house always smelled nice and I always wanted to have company over and and now you know I can't clean my own house without hurting myself and mm. so I've had I had to let let a lot of that go or not being able to cook meals um and prepare food like I used to mm. but with with difficulty comes adaptation and innovation right mm -hmm. so so i yes i've had to let go of pieces of myself but i've also found new pieces of myself because of this and i've reconnected with parts of myself that i had kind of let go of for so long because i was stuck in survival mode working in nonprofit um and so I've replaced and adapted. And, and so now I find a lot of pride and um, happiness and fulfillment with my writing Aww. and with the podcast. Yeah. And I, one of my ways of practicing self-care is to do hand stitching, like handcrafts. Yeah. And I make Christmas stockings for all my nieces and nephews. Yeah. And I've learned how to do all of that laying on my back. And um, I just, creating feels so good to me. So there, I mean, all hope is not lost. I have a, a desk that I use when I'm on the couch that yeah. can raise up and down and tilt and um my boyfriend is our podcast producer so he's he also amazing though, by the way we should give him a shout out <laughs> he is amazing he he shout out to his boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> he is our producer and goes and he calls himself wade freeman even though that's like a mm. him. But, um but he takes such good care of me and is so supportive and he care he does all the heavy lifting mm. literally of you know he has to do the grocery shopping or like putting the groceries away and the cooking and everything and he'll set up the podcast studio next to my bed so that I can still record the podcast even though uh right now 
I'm, I can't set up a whole lot and I can't, like, I, I don't have the spoons to get upstairs to my craft room and studio. So he sets it up for me. So allow yourself the space to grieve, but Mm -hmm. also adapt and find new ways to, to have fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really, I mean, for me, that, that's creating being, being a person who creates, whether it's writing or crafting or podcasting is, is what helps bring me fulfillment. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I like those two points, those uh, amounts of like, giving the process, knowing that you can be what you used to be a long time ago, but then yeah. having a new path of, okay, let's adapt. You know, let's make yeah. a few changes here. Almost like you stick this route to work every day, but now you're going to take a different route. Yeah. You work from home, you know, and yeah. after that, it's, uh, it's so reminiscent of what I heard from one of my friends. She was bedridden for about two and a half years with rheumatoid arthritis. And she said um, those two years actually um, helped her redefine her purpose. You know, initially yeah. she had to, you know, ask for help or even she wanted to do everything herself, but then with her energy levels going down and, you know, she was just wasting. She was supposed to actually die and she had to depend on people. And that just reaffirmed what, you know, like how really brittle life is and how yeah. you know, many things that we you know, put so much importance to is really important. And it's about connection with people. It's about, you know, um, just being in the moment and living life to the fullest wherever you are. And sometimes illnesses can just be a reminder of that. When our body can be the way it used to be before, are we, we're forced to pay attention and just sit still. Uh, it's a hard lesson to learn, but um, I thank you for those encouraging words. And I know it's going to be very beneficial to, it's, been, it's beneficial to me to hear and I can't even imagine how much more so for those that might be, you know, in that situation as well. I hope so. And I, I hope that my being so open about my journey and my experience will help other people survive their own circumstances because I felt so alone and alienated from the world when all this started. And if I can help anyone feel less alone, then it then that's that to me is um success at this point so thank you so much for having me on and and letting me talk your ear off (laughs) oh no this is we could go on and on it's so easy talking to you like um quickly where can people find you and um i know you also wrote a book story is my tattoo style where can people find that book as well yeah so i wrote a book called skin in the game the stories by tattoos tell and it is a memoir where i literally tell my life story through the stories behind my tattoos including um two chapters are about this medical journey uh and you can find that like at barnesandnoble.com amazon.com it's on apple books it's there you can get it in ebook and paperback and we're working on an audiobook version as well. And you can find me. I have a website and blog at nerdzillakelly.com. Okay. Um, and then on social media, on Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter, you can find me at Nerdzilla Kelly. And then, of course, there's the podcast and on Mom Happy Hour. We're on all major listening apps, and we also have a website anonmomhappyhour.com all right i'll include all of that in the um 
announcement or show notes for this episode. And um, thank you so much, Gary, for coming on the show today. Is there any way we can help you um, find community or build community or even, you know, talk more about the, you know, medical gaslighting issues? Um, this is an open invitation for you to come back anytime. And so people you have heard from Kelly, um, Nadzila, and um, go on her podcast show and, and listen to, she has uh, quite a number of them and you're bound to laugh, cry, and, you know, just um, <laughs> find ways to be an overall better person. Um, if you love this content, um, there's plenty more where that came from. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts on. Um, leave a rating, leave a review. Let me know how it's helped you. And um, yeah, and I look forward to hearing from you guys too. Thank you all for listening. I remain your host, Mosibo, and catch you guys in another episode of the Mosibo Podcast. All right, lady. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I don't have a time.